0: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Roe v. Wade remains the law of the land, but that can change at any moment. The Supreme Court is expected to overturn the nearly 50-year-old constitutional right to abortion by the end of the month or so. The end of Roe will impact millions of Americans, including here in California. You might think of California as a sanctuary, a state that's protected from the ramifications of Roe ending. But there are many regions in California that have limited or no access to an abortion provider. On top of that, California's healthcare system will now have to contend with an influx of patients traveling from states that will partially or totally ban abortion once the Supreme Court announces the end of Roe. That's about 26 states where abortion access will be dramatically impacted. So what does that mean for parts of California that are what reproductive rights advocates call access deserts? Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler joins me today to talk about her recent reporting trip to the Central Valley. She traveled to Fresno, Kings, and Tulare counties to talk to clinicians and abortion rights advocates to reveal the myth of the state as a post-Roe sanctuary. Lauren will also talk about the culture war that's raging in these counties and how the strategy to limit abortion care access, yes, even for Californians, is getting more sophisticated. Lauren Hepler, thanks for joining me on Fifth Admission.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So, Lauren, we often think of California as being a reproductive freedom state where access to abortion and other reproductive services isn't a problem, but that isn't exactly true for certain parts of the state, like the Central Valley. That's where you spent some time. What does access look like there?
1: It's a good question. And really the thing that sort of piqued our interest is that when you actually look at the big map of vast California, there are actually about 40 percent of counties in the state that don't have a local abortion provider. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, um, women, trans folks, non-binary people who have to go, in some cases, hours to, to get to their nearest provider. And it's not, you know, only if you need abortion services that can also apply to things like birth control or STI testing. So it's really a broader issue. Um, And the thing that also sort of drew our attention to the Central Valley is a pair of recent uh, legal cases that were fought out there. So for the first time in decades in 2018 and 2019, two women were actually charged with murder after they experienced pregnancy loss in Kings County, which is just south of Fresno. So all of that mm-hmm. together were really some of the dynamics that made us say, okay, we need to go out and talk to folks about what this is like on the ground.
0: And why are reproductive services in these areas especially critical?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big question and it really gets to much broader public health issues. So in a lot of the counties we're talking about, Tulare County, Kings County, in t- some parts of Fresno County, The issue is really a lack of overall health care. There are very few doctors per person. um, So that translates to things like um, high rates of other chronic illnesses as well. um, And then also Tulare County is an example of a place with the highest teen pregnancy rates in the state of California. And I think that a phrase that I thought was kind of useful to think about this was one that. Shannon Olveri-Harris from NARAL, California used, which was thinking about the Central Valley, but also parts of far Northern California, Southern areas on the border with Mexico and parts of the Central Coast really as sort of broader reproductive access deserts.
0: California currently is home to a quarter of the nation's uh, healthcare facilities that provide abortion care, but we have major access deserts. 40% of our counties don't have a single abortion provider. And we have a handful of counties that don't have a single OBGYN.
1: We actually have really significant access
0: deserts kind of across the
1: board as it relates to reproductive health care. And then from there, you can start to think about, okay, like what are some of the ways that we can get folks not only access to an abortion, if that's a road you want to go down, but also Um, some of these longer-term preventative care and a relationship with a doctor that you can trust kind of on a day-to-day basis.
0: So, Lauren, we are on the brink of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, and we know that half of the country's states are poised to fully or partially ban abortion if that happens. What does that mean for California? In particular, in these regions that you're describing where access is already limited.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the main tension that I heard a lot about on our recent trip to the valley. Uh, folks are saying, you know, we want to be there to support people that that may need care from Texas, from Arizona, from these big neighboring states, um, all in total. Uh, the, the Guttmacher Institute, which is a, a pro-choice research institution, Um, they're saying that up to 1.4 million people could soon find themselves with their closest abortion provider in California. For anyone counting, that's a 3,000 percent increase from the world sort of under Roe v. Wade. So the tension then in these abortion access deserts, if you want to call them that, is, is sort of How do you prepare for an influx like that while, as some of the advocates I spoke to said, folks there are already struggling to access this care? The main thing that came out in the conversations I was having is just that a lot of this comes down to, like, very practical day-to-day things. Like, can you get time off work? if you need to seek this kind of care, if you're having to potentially drive an hour or two to get there. Or if you don't have a, a car, is it a full day trip on stringing together different public transit and in places where there aren't a lot of options? Um, there's child care. There's just all sorts of potential barriers that can come up. And so those are the things that are sort of very present, immediate concerns.
0: So Lauren, you were able to visit clinics in the Central Valley and For people who are able to make it to these clinics, they often have to face anti-abortion protesters who park outside of the clinics. Paint a picture for me. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I can color this with a little bit of uh, personal experience as well. So I'm from Ohio, where it's pretty common to see right to life Protesters. So, this isn't necessarily a new thing, but what that looks like in California, where you might not expect there to be as much organized opposition to a Planned Parenthood or to reproductive rights, was that on a weekday morning around 10 a.m., um, I, I arrived outside of the Planned Parenthood near downtown Fresno, and there was a small group of protesters. They had a black and white Right to life umbrella to block some of that, you know, like scorching Central Valley sun. They had um, pamphlets to direct people to a different clinic that they were sure to point out was also federally funded. And, And then really what they were doing was just calling out to people going in and out of Planned Parenthood, saying, can I give you more information? So a lot of people would kind of, you know, like nervously glance over and then speed up and and make sure they were getting in the door, getting back to their car. Mm -hmm. But I also saw folks who who did come over. They wanted to read the pamphlets about this other clinic. Um, And it turns out the other clinic is called Obria Medical Clinic. It's an an offshoot of a Southern California based uh, nonprofit And they also advertise reproductive care, but it turns out they they don't do abortion referrals. Our mission here at OBRIA is really to serve women wherever they are. We are really redefining what it means to be a pro-life source for women's health care. And so... The thing that uh, abortion advocates say is that that's not a comprehensive option for women. Um, If you're going to a clinic and and you're not getting sort of the full range of potential services that that you might be looking for, they say that's deceptive and it's not fair to people seeking care. So it's evolving in terms of where there's maybe pressure to go instead, uh, what those competing offerings are. And again, I think it's maybe not something that's always top of mind in a state like California.
0: More with Lauren Hepler after a quick break. She'll talk to us more about how these alternative clinics work and why some Central Valley advocates worry that even state initiatives to expand abortion care access may not make a difference on the local level. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. redirecting people outside of places like Planned Parenthood to these alternative facilities. Tell me more about them. How prevalent are they?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's an interesting area because if you've been kind of, you know, anywhere in America, rural communities, you might have seen billboards out there that say like, Uh, Pregnant, need help, call this phone number. I think I've seen similar things in Oakland and different parts of the Bay Area as well. And what folks might not know is that a lot of times if you call those numbers, the person on the other end of the line is working at what regulators and abortion rights advocates refer to as crisis pregnancy centers. And they call them that because, um, as journals like the American Medical Association's Ethical Journal have pointed out, often it's sort of a persuasion operation um, with religious affiliation. and, And there's a specific mission to sort of drive people away from seeking abortion care and consider alternatives like parenting or looking at things like adoption. So Um, it's something that has existed for a while and there was a recent consumer alert by the California Department of Justice that said a, a couple things to look out for are that some crisis pregnancy centers aren't actually licensed, so they might not have the same sorts of, like, privacy requirements that other medical providers do. Um, they said another red flag is to look out for clinics that try to delay your appointments because obviously abortion is very time-sensitive, especially if you're trying to get like an early stage medication abortion. The Obria Clinic that I mentioned in Fresno are notable because they do have more sort of medical capacity. They advertise having an OBGYN on staff. And, and so it's a, a clinic that's a bit more modern. It might be appealing when folks see advertisements that ab- sort of play up holistic wellness and other services that other crisis pregnancy centers don't offer. So it's a realm that's evolving quickly and I think we'll continue to see evolve in places like the Central Valley, but also in the Bay Area and big cities. There's certainly been a suggestion in the Catholic press and elsewhere that, you know, this could be a model for other states. It'll be something to watch in other areas that have done a lot at the state and the local level to protect abortion rights, like New York is another big example that comes to mind, to see if uh, similar tactics sort of play out elsewhere.
0: You know, lawmakers in Sacramento have proposed a variety of state abortion access bills to help improve some of these access issues that you've been describing. What would some of those bills do?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing is money at this point. There's several different proposals working through the legislature to A, study these disparities that we know exist, um, but like some of the even the really basic numbers like that 40 percent of the counties in California don't have an abortion provider haven't really been updated in recent years. So uh, there's a a sense that, um, you know, we don't even understand this problem maybe as well as we should for such a, a significant moment in sort of public health history. Um, other bills that are going through the legislature, there's one AB 2223, and that's very significant because of the, the case I mentioned earlier in Kings County where women were actually prosecuted after they delivered stillborns uh, because those babies, they were viable fetuses at that point, tested positive for methamphetamine. So this state bill would outlaw. That kind of uh, pregnancy prosecution. And that's something that's technically already on the books in California. But as we saw with those cases, um, it's been been tested at the local level. So a lot of the tension to watch for moving forward is to keep an eye on the legal front and on what's happening locally on the ground to see what kind of an impact that is or is not having.
0: And even with those efforts, local reproductive rights activists are skeptical about how that will all translate to
1: actual change in places like Fresno. Why are they skeptical? Yeah, it's a good question. And it comes back to sort of like underlying political systems. So when I was in Fresno, I was speaking to maternal health advocates there who said we can talk a lot about like we need to mobilize and and make sure we're providing public health resources at a local level, for instance. Um, But that's really hard to do if you don't have things like term limits on the county government positions that determine public health funding. So it really goes beyond thinking about even public health issues and thinking about just how our political systems work, how our voting systems work, all of those things. But I will say one of the, the very interesting things talking to folks on the ground, too, is that Um, A lot of the, you know, these problems aren't new. Like we've known for years now that these access deserts exist. So you're seeing interesting ways that people are starting to adapt. Um, And I think that will only continue in the the months and years to come. Mm -hmm. So
0: you spent time in these communities. You talked to reproductive rights activists there and other advocates. What is their tone? You're talking about them adapting to the climate at this point. What is the tone? How are they feeling?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing is just, you know, kind of the same sort of adapting to remote or telecommuting life that a lot of us have gotten used to. That applies to abortion rights as well. A lot of folks I talked to said, yeah, we know that our physical health systems are still lacking, but you know what? We've got more telemedicine options now. There are services that can mail you contraceptives now in a way that that didn't used to be possible. And even at a more local level, there are activists in communities like Tulare County. I was in the the seat of Visalia uh, on the last trip, and there are activists there who, you know, are spending their mornings in kind of nondescript office buildings, sorting through condoms and menstrual supplies and emergency contraceptives and putting those right in packages to mail directly to young people that they know in the area. So there's all kinds of things happening at once right now. And I think that that's really the main takeaway. Like these abortion access deserts are sort of on the forefront of what we're going to see a lot more of in the coming years. And it's also a lot of thinking about, okay, like what what would a more workable future look like? So I think we have to keep both of those things in mind as we look forward. Mm.
0: This is such important work. Lauren, thank you so much for your reporting and thanks for your time.
1: Thank you, Cecilia.
0: Lauren Hepler is a housing reporter at The Chronicle and is part of the newsroom's race and equity team. Her story about abortion care access in the Central Valley is online now at sfchronicle.com and The Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman and Nick Eilerson for the edits and to you for listening.